Right. Global Lithium Boys, GL1. So they came out with the, the scoping study in, in February. It didn't really light the world on fire. The control F strip ratio in the scoping study, it will come up with nothing. Not, not actually definitively numbered. And so I look at this ore body and think that is an underground mine. I reckon Develop and Bill would be looking at this as well. One for the tin barons now, I reckon. And you know how much I love owning shares that require a little bit of shareholder activism dense? Uh, ding, ding, ding first. I, uh, I became a baron last week. I bought some Metals X shares. So. so they got $124 million just cash sitting in the bank, earning interest at the bank. I want an equity return on my capital, not bank interest. Money miners, welcome to Wednesday, 26th of July. The go-to mining news in your ears and in your eyes. That's good. Just made that up. Okay. JD, Trav, how are we, gentlemen? Doing great, mate. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Hey, buddy, buddy. Bloody Trav, look at the distance right now between Trav's mic and his mouth. <laughs> Been, uh, <laughs> we got mate, the, the mining news excites Trav so much it just consumes all of his saliva and he gets a bit gurgly. Well, we've had, we've had one consistent bit of feedback that, that someone can hear my saliva. I reckon it's the same bloke. Um, can so you do one for us This right one's now? for you, buddy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly – I listen to it in the car. I oh, admit I listen to our own podcast and now I hear it too. <laughs> We're all about feedback, money miners. Send it in. We're here for continuous improvement. Boys, big show today. Yeah, quite a bit on the menu. How good are quarterlies? Panoramic, Bellevue. Again. Develop gets a shout out. Albemarle, Perseus, Global Lithium, Red. Metalsex. And the Tin Barons. Exactly. Oh, activism. Let's go. Right. Before we get into it, our bloody partners at Anytime Exploration Services. Oh, nothing like a bit of sponsorship. We appreciate the help. Check them out. Tell you what, boys, because if you, the old bloody exploration drill rigs stop spinning, what are we going to talk about? No mining. Companies like this are supplying the people and the core cutting for it. Check mm. them out in the show notes, everyone. Thanks anytime for uh, helping the podcast out. Boys, let's get into it, we'll start off with panoramic. The details of the raise are out. And JD's, what we thought was a reasonable prediction for an $0.08 cent raise price was way off. Mm. Very unexpected. I think the real kicker there is 21% holders, IGO, not going into it. That that would have been a bit of a blow. So, yeah, it's also... You know, 40 million bucks, as we sort of flag, bigger than what the acceptable amount is relative to the shares they have an issue. So they're going to get, have to get approval. They did get previously 13% holders, Zeta, on for 10 million. So that's going to lift their their percentage ownership. Why, Lou? The, the nickel bulls are nowhere to be seen. That's, that's kind of interesting. Because do you think it would have been definitely disclosed and marketed if they were in it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the details though, JD. What like it's uh, the raise in forty million bucks. At mate, a, the discount at a, at a discount of what? Forty five percent. So five yeah. cents a share. That's that's really tough for for panoramic. So and, like we said, and 40 you'll million. notice that you'll only find that price on page sixteen of the announcement. You got to scroll through a big announcement to get to that actual price. It's like yeah, the discount. Yeah, the discount's forty five percent, right? However, it gets worse. It's more delusionary than that too, because there's a there's a one for two free attaching oppie associated with it as well. So, and another five million share purchase plan. 
mm. with potential to go over to eight. I'm not sure how hotly in demand this one will be. It's the sort of pricing that, that you, you have when you're, <laughs> you know, you need to raise 40 million bucks um, and, you know, the market sets the price. You've got no say in this one. It's like whatever will be, will be. I'm sure if IGO participated, then um, it'd be a much tighter discount than we're seeing. But um, these guys are price takers, not price makers. I, I don't think looking back over the last few years, you could pick a worse time to raise as a, as a nickel producer or just mm. a nickel company in general. So are we inferring that IGO are not participating because of the recent write-down in the Western areas assets that they're not looking to double down again on another nickel investment? The optics would probably be a bit like people, shareholders of IGO might question doubling down on the you know, high-cost nickel producers, um, that strategy given the write-down seen in, in Western areas. And it just doesn't look like that Kimberley area, despite their tenements in and around, is is a core focus to them. Yeah, well, I'll bring up a picture now. Like, there's IGO do hold a lot of exploration ground in and in and around this Savannah project. So, look, there is an interest. There is a um, a regional interest there, but doesn't appear to be at the moment. Mm. So, Looking at a couple of details from the quarterly that also came out, the all-in cost, as we'd sort of flagged, was going to be very high. It came out at Aussie $22.33 a pound. Oh. Now, just for reference, nickel is $14.20-ish in Aussie dollar terms. So that is that is pretty shocking. And that's really a result of the the impact from lower mine grades and then obviously the, the filter press that we spoke about. So that company flagged that they had a $20 million revenue hit as a result of those issues. Mm, makes sense. Right, Global Lithium Boys, GL1, they're growing mana, the mana deposit. So just east of Kalgoorlie, a bit southeast of Kalgoorlie, it now sits at 36 million tonne at 1.13% lithium. Mm. So they came out with the, mm. the scoping study in, in February. It didn't really light the world on fire. The share price didn't, didn't do too well. I think well, I'll bring a graph up here. You'll see as soon as they brought that scoping study out, that was sitting at around 2 bucks 20 and they went down to as low as a dollar. Yeah, so like I said, didn't, didn't set the world alight. And I think it's got to do with the assumptions around the mining. You dug into it a bit and you're the sort of resident and chief mining expert, Maddie. What did you sort of pull up looking at that scoping study back in February? Well, I looked at, I guess... The headline things that sort of stuck out to me and will correlate it, I'll make it a bit similar to essential metals. So, because the one content, one comment at the start was about iron content and ore sorting. So, very high strip ratio with the dilution because, and the reason for this, iron contaminants in lithium have, they've got a significant impact on the, we say, the electrochemical performance and the material stability of batteries. So having iron contamination is really bad and that's why they're talking about ore sorting to make sure the iron dilution is as low as possible. Your ears always just prickle up when you hear ore sorting, don't you? Mm, well, it's, like, it's like tailings. Yeah, tailings, tailings retreatment. Tailings ore sorting. retreatment. Yeah, you're just like, oh. Yeah, so, and then <laughs> this is... They, they used two and a half thousand dollars a ton US for the the long term spodumene price that they're going to sell at for a five and a half percent spodumene concentrate. So, look, and that, this is for a ten year mine life. So this is considering Pilbara Minerals two days ago reported a realised price of US thirty two fifty six, bit over three grand a ton, uh, and they're considering two and a half thousand bucks a ton US. So, and it's actually about a thousand bucks higher 
than the real the price that other companies have assumed in their DFSs. So look, Liontown used thirteen ninety two. Alchem for James Bay used a thousand and one. Uh, Leo Lithium Gulamina they used nine hundred and seventy eight dollars a ton. These are all US. And Essential Metals used sixteen hundred and seven. And as I said, these guys are using two and a half thousand. So the actual very aggressive on the realised price that they're hoping for over that 10-year mine life. And Maddie, on the on the mining, we spoke about Essential, sort of similar postcode asset, and how they were looking to mine the thing. We, the, the studies there indicated they were going at it via open pits. Yeah. And then you sort of looked at it, looked at how the, the ore body kind of sits and said, hey, that looks pretty good for an underground type of operation. Well, I'll bring the picture up here, what the ore body looks like. You look at the actual right-hand load, it pretty much looks like the Essential Minerals ore body. See, exactly the same. It looks like it's dipping pretty similar. And then then you've got these, I guess it looks like they're a bit more bit more loady, a bit more separated uh, on the left-hand side, which is the bulk of it. But look, the strip ratio, if you're going to open pit this whole thing, is huge. Like, And the I guess the if you control F strip ratio in the scoping study, it will come up with nothing. Not not actually definitively numbered, so that's always a bit of a red red flag because you actually you got to calculate it yourself. So from the reports and everything, the life of mine strip ratio comes out at twenty two to one. Uh, it is back end weighted, so the first three years is a bit bit under fifteen to one. So to get that bottom bit of the ore body out in the back end of the mine life is going to result in a lot of waste movement. I think the strip ratio is over 30 to 1 <coughs> for that back end. But it's just this, <clears throat> pardon me, it's just a thing with, seems to be with lithium. Like if this was a gold deposit, if you looked at that and that was a gold mine, it's like you would, it'd just be right. We have a small pit and we go underground. It's like this thinking hasn't been applied as much to lithium for whatever reason. So I look at this ore body and think, right, you could make a couple of small pits at the start, start going underground, and that is an underground mine. It goes down to, what, a bit over 300 metres. You would assume there would be uh, looks at potentially open at depth, one of those loads as well. Um, so why wouldn't it be an underground mine? It's not a true easy underground mine. They've got to blend the ore to some degree within the stopes, but that blending within stopes and splitting it up is probably a lot easier than blasting it all in, a, in an open pit, I reckon. And considering the, the locality of it, just east of Kalgoorlie, so you're in and around uh, Minres, uh, like so it is a bit north. Bit, so you're in and around Mount Marion, you're in and around Essential. Now looking at what develops, uh, develops takeover for Essential, this, this resource is triple the size of Essential. It's a bit lower grade, but you'd be screaming at... Uh, I reckon develop and Bill would be looking at this as well. It'd be, mm. This is, fits right in their basket. Yeah, um, Bold Hill nearby as well, actually. Yeah, so it's another – I think this is – yeah, can't, can't make any predictions. I don't know anything. I haven't got any bloody comments from anyone, but just from afar, I think they'd be definitely looking at this to take this as a potential underground mine. As I said, triple the size of Essential. So the, the market gate is a lot bigger company. Yeah, there's something there's something else that stood out, Maddie, when the scoping study came out. They, they did a US roadshow pretty soon after. And the first thing that pops in my head is when a company goes and does the, the US roadshow, it's like, what, can't they raise the money here in Australia? And perhaps it's a bit too, been a bit too hard on the companies. But it also makes me think of something Warren Irwin said when we spoke to him a couple months back and he gets the same sort of feeling when a when an Aussie com company comes up to him 
in Canada. The first thing he does is get on the phone with the people he knows in Australia and says, why, why weren't these guys able to get it away in, in Australia? So nevertheless, I think growing the resource today's announcement is not a negative. And they're also planning to smash out another 50 kilometres of drilling, which is pretty mm. huge, starting in August. And they're also skipping, or it looks like they're skipping the PFS because they said the DFS study is running concurrently. So they're marching on. And, and the thing about going underground with these ore bodies, if you to control it, that's your best way of controlling this iron contamination because it's a more, more surgically removing the ore body rather than blasting in an open pit and spreading it everywhere. You can control the dilution a lot better. So it's per, if it's going to be done, I think it has to be done as an underground mine. I think so. these guys put an investment into Kairos recently as well. So they must have yeah. a, a neighboring bit of a, tenement. Yeah, a bit of a view of growing it to, you know, make the collective mine plan look a bit better. And that and to go deeper on that, it looks like if they're gonna do more drilling, unless it's ex- exploration, to go deeper on this, you that's a lot of drill meters to get down there. Where whereas once you develop start going underground, you put drill drives down and your cost of exploration is a lot lower because you're lower down. So Maddie, on the theme of underground, Develop came out with their quarterly today. Did you catch that one? I did. I did. Continuing on with the Develop chat. Look, the big standout, which I guess was uh, the thoughts going around, the rumour going around, was that they've pulled out of the Kathleen Valley tender, the Town tender. Um, it was the last dot point there. It's a key, key thing. But look, in my opinion, great move. Great yeah. move because that, as I said, that underground contract is going to be absolutely huge. I've heard it's actually getting – the scope of it is actually been getting bigger during the tendering process. And, look, Bill's model for develop is, you know, pay a shitload more to get the best people in the industry. But you take on a contract like this and to service his Bellevue and Woodlawn operations as well, uh, the contract and the ownership of Woodlawn, you don't become that – boutique once you have to employ a shitload of operators that that boutique amount is a fixed amount yeah the essential metals transaction and subsequently running the show there will keep them busy as well a lot going on because if they took this kind they'd have in in the immediate time if they took that contract they'd have the bellevue contract and the line town contract and then trying to get their other operations online so they're effectively a large mining contractor which look bill's done it before and knows it's fucking hard to do and it's Mm. low margins and high risk so i reckon it's a great move guys there was one other uh big announcement in in the lithium space that stood out to me it sort of came out late yesterday monodelphus and albemarle so they're going ahead with expanding kemerton that sort of news came out a couple months ago now Monodelphus were awarded a $200 million contract to start building trains three and four. So they were the guys that did trains one and two down there. Each of those trains accounts for 25,000 tonnes per annum of lithium hydroxide. And that feed will be coming from their 49% own stake in green bushes. So they're looking to complete that in late 2025, all up costing US $1.5 billion. And I think this is, this is what sort of stands out to me. The CEO of Albemarle, Kent Masters, he's been pretty critical in the past about how expensive it is to go downstream in Australia. He's flagged that it's, you know, significantly cheaper to do it in South America and even cheaper to do it in Asia. So it's interesting that they made the decision to go ahead. They obviously do like the jurisdiction here in Australia and yeah, they're going about executing and it's good for the um, the mining services businesses in Australia, like Monodelphus, if they can execute this with a with a margin. I think, God, do you remember a decade ago, Monodelphus was such a... JD, you were probably still in primary school, but buddy, <laughs> Monodelphus were like a bit of a market darling, weren't they? Yeah, mm. I mean, what are they... They kept it a billion still. 
They they definitely are. They definitely were popular on Sky News Business. I remember that much. Oh, I wish that had come back. You must but, have just been smashing Sky News Business back in the day. Yeah, smashing, smashing CFDs as well and smashing all my fucking income. God, <laughs> Jesus Christ, if I could rewind that moment. Oh, <laughs> check out, check out anyone wants a good laugh, type Matthew Michael AFR in. You get a good, <laughs> there was a news article. This is the due diligence uh, JD and I did not do. <laughs> <laughs> Gents, we've got some goldies there. to talk about. Should we start with Bellevue? Start with the greenest of them all. Yeah, the green I've, gold, yes. Yeah, I think they not, did not this one gold, for Trav. It's green, gold. it's green gold, mate. I think they put this quarterly together for Trav. They just jam-packed it with pictures, just how Trav likes it. <laughs> I love a good picture update, <laughs> Any mate. pictures are cool. So <laughs> the big news that stands out from this one, we're not going to flesh through everything, but it was that the, the debt has been drawn. So we've spoken about this in the past. If, you're, if the money miners are sort of wondering what we're talking about, they have a large debt facility, 200 million, but they weren't drawing on a significant portion of it on 165. And that sort of led to us inferring that perhaps certain conditions hadn't been met and they weren't allowed to draw on it. But if you pull up section seven on today's announcement, you can see that 130 million is now drawn. And you flick to page 13 on the quarterly and you can see all material improvement uh, approvals have been received. So, you know, perhaps they were the final things that were needed to get to that drawdown. Because yeah. Trav, Trav, you mentioned when you talked to Strala about the power contract, whether that was inhibiting it. Yeah. Um, and I think... They like, said no. And fair enough. I think there was just that one last approval that, which was announced late May, I want to say, or maybe it was even early June. I can't remember. It was June. It must have been June. Um, and they, it looks like they drew the debt around then. It's my guess. But it, it is one of those things where you want to delay the drawdown as late as you can because you don't want to pay interest you don't have to. Because I think and I think a lot of that had to do as well with the mill the mill being the native title and everything <coughs> being approved to approve the mill design and get the mill finalized. Um, so I'd reckon that was all probably a detail of it as well. Mm. Red in in the in the area. Red in the I guess you'd say the quarterly was in the green slightly uh, for red. I guess you could. A bit of a deceptive one. So you read through the first page, it reads it reads kind of well, great on a production front. We They came out with a pre-quarterly and we kind of flagged this. So the second half of financial year 23 had produced 102,000 ounces at an all-in of just under 1,840. So the plant's operating at 5.5 million tonnes per annum. They flagged at a nameplate of 4 million Initially, and, and I think recently then it went to, what was it, 4.7? Yeah, that's what we and flagged. So it's interesting that the company flagged four in the in the report. Looking at the, the cash flow statement or the summary of the cash flow statement that they post up is kind of interesting. So start the quarter, 23.4 million cash, end the quarter, 45.9 million cash. But then you see in that statement that they received $31.9 million from issuing new shares. So without that raising, the cash position actually moves back 9.5 million. I think that one was um, tranche two yep. settled in, in, in this quarter. So it was the big equity raise that they did at the start of the year. You're right. But just yep. the second tranche, which required shareholder approval. Um, but also baked into that quarter, you had an abnormally large debt repayment that's that's not going to be experienced in a similar way in future quarters because the full $15 million working capital facility had to be repaid. So I think they paid down $22 million of debt you know, this quarter, but um, future quarters, that, that'll be a much smaller number. Yeah, that's right. So they've still got debt of 127.8. I mean, things do seem to be going in the in the right direction, but you look at guidance for financial year 24. So the midpoint is 205,000 ounces at, seven, at 1975 Aussie all-in sustaining cost. 
So, you know, on average, they're not going to be matching what they produced in the last quarter. It's going to be slightly less. That was over 60,000 ounces. Now, that all in sustaining cost is pretty high given that it doesn't really encapsulate all the business costs as we've touched on quite a bit, Maddie. And as well, you look at the hedging and just to look at the past two quarters, say, they've actually received a gold price in Aussie dollar terms of 2,530 and 2,670. So, you know, $500 or $400 less than where the, the gold price is floating at the moment. So you could argue that, I know you said that the cash position movement uh, went back nine and a half if you take out the raising, but look, they did pay, was it $22 million off mm. the debt? Yeah. But- They've got the debt. The debt is there. It has to be serviced. So, and that is something that is not going away. Yeah, future so. repayments on that debt. I, th- I can't remember the number, but it felt like it was about five million in the next quarter to be repaid off the debt. So it's not like they're paying twenty-two million every quarter. Yeah. yeah. So they've they've used a good chunk of the raise effectively to pay a bit of the debt down. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was also flagged that the the grade they received was was pretty good the the last quarter and I'm not sure how how that's going to hold up in future quarters it might be slightly less than that so mm. it kind of just reminds me slightly of you know Galena that we spoke about yesterday 29 metals panoramic these sorts of companies where whilst red aren't there yet you know they need things to go well they yeah. need it to run smoothly they need to be producing the right amount they need to be producing you know a bit more from from operations and really work on bringing those costs down to avoid any future trouble and yeah. I, I think their open pit is coming out above the reserve grade, but their underground is still below. So, yeah. and a lot of the tons are coming from the open pit. So, look, operationally, in terms of what's come out of the operation, they've done a very good job. It appears exceeding the capacity and grade, but it'll be all about getting out of the debt hole and the bit of hedging they got for them to start actually realising the full value of the operation long term. I got a couple of um, couple of. Small points to add there. One is one funny line I noticed in the investor prayers. Uh, it was quite, in quote, Tasha marks, uh, trade creditors were all within normal trading terms at 30 June. You don't always read a statement like that, but I think Red have a bit of an extra obligation to include that sort of statement because they surprised <laughs> the market with a, you know, the, not a very well disclosed uh, trade creditors position in the past, which required an equity raising to fix. So it's good to see them um, be upfront about about that one in the uh, investor prayers. Uh, and then the other point I'll make is, uh, Jada, you mentioned up front that the first page read well, but when you got to the cash flow, you were a bit more curious. Reminded me of a bit of advice I saw from uh, Chucky on on Twitter. He said, uh, read your quarterlies back to front, <laughs> <laughs> which I agree with. And I did notice in some of the quarterlies today that uh, that had good headline numbers. The headline numbers were at the top and then safety and environmental come after that rather than being in the first top point. <laughs> You may yeah. be hearing about that soon, eh, Trav? Mate, we've got a we've got a very good treat for the money miners. We're, we're got not going to give much away. We we um yeah, we filmed a couple of videos that might be a little bit funny. You're going to have to keep your eyes peeled on our social media. I've got uh, we put the acting boots on. I was laughing at you, so they must be funny. So uh, and yeah, you weren't laughing at me, but that was the thing that was a bit concerning. So, <laughs> boys, Perseus, Perseus. This is a Let's bit head over to JD's love for Africa. Africa. Yeah, this one read a lot better. So what stands out? Sitting on US $522 million in cash. They're also debt-free and they've got an undrawn debt facility of US $300 million. So in Aussie dollar terms, that's $786 million for a company capped at $2.4 billion Aussies. So that's looking pretty healthy. For the year, they sold just under 540,000 ounces at an all-in sustaining in US 
of about 960. So, geez, that's a good spot, isn't it? Yeah, Monster that's good. producer, right? Like 537,000 ounces of gold. That's a big, big, big production profile. Yeah, and they realized US 1803 sales price. So, if you look at their hedge book, it's one of the best I've ever seen. It's <laughs> 355,000 ounces hedged at US 2008. So they're making money. Making money <laughs> yeah. on the gold price today. Yeah. yeah. That, that's great. So oh, just think, you think that, uh, buddy, they'd be able to sell a bit of that to Regis or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the big question here is what do they do with the cash? There's no mention of a further dividend in the quarterly or a buyback. And if you look at what happened in with their Sudanese growth project – it, it fell over in the past quarter on the back of the unfortunate civil war that the country is experiencing. So I think it's interesting just to rattle off a few ASX West, West African plays. That's just south of Egypt, isn't it? <laughs> Was it 60 kilometres from the border? 75. 75, there oh, you close go. Close to Egypt, everyone. Okay, so West African ASX names. You've got WAF, Predictive, Resolute and Tieto come to mind. On the surface, WAF and Resolute, they'd be huge bites. You know, WAF's EV is just under 800 Aussie and using the net debt number from March for Resolute, you get about 950 Aussie. Tieto, they're ramping up at the moment and it's not going too well. You know, they're sort of disappointed in the past few quarters. Predictive looks looks like a potential. And then beyond the ASX names, you've also got, you know, London-listed, or Canadian listed assets that could be, you know, on the menu floating in and around the area. So yeah, I almost think um, it, it like those are all they're all companies that have like pretty, you know, they're, they're not insignificant market caps. They're all a couple hundred million, a million at least, right? Um, but like Perseus style is is paying peanuts for the undeveloped ounces in the ground. You, you remember that? Um, the acquisition we had, we had an Andrew come on when Chesser was acquired by Fortuna Silver. Yep, and I think it was like yeah, sold, yeah, sold like for like 90, eighty million bucks, and it was forty million market cap before. That's almost the sort of project I kind of expect Perseus to pick up because they just take a view that they'll turn it into a gold mine and build it and pay peanuts for it, and that's where you create heaps of value. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That that is their mo, and we'll see how they sort of go about executing it, but. Well, I guess do that doesn't really speak to their cash position, though, does it? No, I mean they've got like a they upsize their debt facility as well, um, yeah. which might indicate that they're going to be a bit more aggressive in terms of bite size too. So yeah, maybe that maybe those names fit in there. Mm. So yeah. the the share price has actually come off from two bucks forty about three or so months ago to where it's floating around today, one dollar seventy five. And just for reference, Woff they've come off a bit too, but. Mostly Aussie producers, you know, in a similar sort of spot, they've they've held pretty constant. So West Africa and, you know, jurisdictions that are a bit tougher just aren't getting the love at the moment. JD, you reckon that's a function of the news that was coming out of Mali and the oh, – sorry, Tanzania, the different in like – yeah, the, the, un, the uncertainty on government relations and the royalties – and ownership and all that yeah, sort of so stuff. Yeah, so we had Mali, we had civil war sort of issues in Burkina, we had obviously what we've touched on in Sudan. None of that bodes too well, although you'd assume the company and yeah, investors on the register there are quite comfortable with that already. So it's okay. about attracting new investors, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you look at, I'm just converting everything to US dollars here, $1.6 billion market cap, less than 522 million net cash gets you to 1.1 billion US enterprise value. 
Uh, if you look at just their operating cash flow they reported this quarter and, and annualise that, you get 500 million US. So 1.1 billion EV, 500 million uh, operating cash flow per year. It looks, it looks um, un- undervalued on a relative basis. One for the to, Tin Barons I'm now, trying to think. Have you ever watched the movie Tin Cup? A great golf movie with uh, Kevin think, Costner. No, the back. real joke is um, Tin Man from uh, Wizard of Oz. Oh, is that? Yeah. Mate, I couldn't work out what you'd put on the thumbnail when we did the Metal X episode. <laughs> That's Mate, the one, eh? Here we go. One for the Tin Barons. Metal's X. How'd their quarterly look, Trav? Uh, ding, ding, ding first. I, uh, I became a Baron last week. I bought some Metal's X shares. So um, full disclosure to everyone out there. Uh, and you know how much I love owning shares that require a little bit of shareholder activism, gents. St. Barbara, I was really trying to have an influence with my $500 <laughs> shareholding there. Did so. you put more than 500 into this track? I did this one, yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> still, still, still a small parcel, mate. But, um, but I'm going to have a crack at some shareholder activism for Metals X now that I'm a baron. I need to take my Huduru hat off and put on some, uh, a tin hat and join the, join the uh, hashtag tin barons loud and proud. <laughs> <laughs> so we did the we did a deep dive on this mysterious tin miner Metals X. I think it was three weeks ago, and tin we, and cash miner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the money miner. Um, yeah. So we drew attention to its big cash balance, strange shareholder dynamics, unusual investment in a gold explorer, and its uh, t- Twitter cult that it's got going on, which I'm now a part of. Um, and and <laughs> now have you, got, now have you got hashtag Tin Baron in your name yet? Oh, no, I'll keep that one out, I reckon. <laughs> um, but you never know, you never know. So now we've got a quarterly update, and we can see that the tin production from their uh, Renaissance mine in Tasmania is up 15%, driven by higher grade and recovery. Um, there's they're having some teething issues from the commissioning of the underground there. There was pace pipe work failures, um, there were HV power outages, poor ground conditions. But the cash balance still went up nine million bucks, and it's now at a whopping one hundred and twenty-four million dollars cash for a market cap of two hundred and seventy-six million. So we can see some commentary that the higher grade stopes have been deferred. So I actually think you can expect a bit of an uplift to production in the coming quarters too, relative to what we saw in this quarter. I'm going to articulate what the value proposition is, and but also what what the real red flags are too. Um, so the value proposition to is that, you know, no matter how you, how you cut it, the EV EBITDA multiple screens low. Um, even if you exclude the $36 million of convertible notes that they owned uh, issued by, you know, Cyprium paying 4% per annum, just exclude them because Cyprium, you just can't bank on anything there. Um, they trade it on my numbers, you know, Metals X still trade it two times FY24 EBITDA, assuming uh, the tin price is, is steady. There's upside optionality from any potential tin price movement that could come from a supply shock given Myanmar have flagged tin production ban from 1st of August. Don't know if that's going to eventuate or not. Next week, mate. Next week. Yeah. Waiting eagerly. And then the bad, right? The red flag. So the shareholder overhang, right? Old Peak are continuously selling. They're now with 7.6% ownership, but they're constantly selling into uh, anyone that's picking up shares. You look at the board there, three of four of them are nominees of APAC. So, um, and APAC is the 20% shareholder just sitting there. So they're a kind of pseudo APAC entity in a lot of ways. Three out of four is not usual for a 20% owner. That's, that's yep. far too many. <laughs> and, uh, and the real thing that just, the, the real catalyst for a re-rate here is, is just 
introducing some capital allocation framework um, or guidance to the market, but there isn't one. No, nothing like that exists, right? So they've got $124 million just cash sitting in the bank earning interest at the bank. I want an equity return on my capital, not bank interest, right? Um, and there's no discussion in the quarterly of dividends, no discussion of buybacks, no discussion of M&A, no discussion of using the cash for anything other than sitting in the bank. They've got one growth opportunity that they talk to and it's a tailings retreatment. Like, oh, not that word. I know, right? Don't say it's, that word. Uh, it's pretty uninspiring. And unless tin price, you know, structurally changes, it's hard to build a strong case to get that one over the line. So consider this a message to uh, Brett Smith, who runs the show there. We would love to have you come on the podcast, Brett. Uh, shareholders want a capital allocation framework. Our pod would be the best forum to have that conversation. You can unveil the capital allocation framework to all of the shareholders, including myself. I'd love to hear it. What are you going to oh, do with the cash? Can't wait for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd be oh, great. Oh, that's the best thing about this podcast, boys. I'll get to just witness all that great stuff when it happens. Matty, you're a part of it. You're not just witnessing oh, it. Oh, just I, I am both. Beautiful, boys. Thank you very much. Love it, gents. Good stuff. Thanks again, Anytime Exploration, serves us our partner of the show. Hooteroo, lads. Hooteroo, money miners. Hooteroo. We love you all. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.